Just to get us to get our brains into gear, I thought we might begin with a short discussion. Uh, there's a few of us tonight, and so I thought we might be able to turn to the people around us and just uh, speak, especially if you've uh, lived overseas or you've had cross-cultural sort of moments, whether you know of any um, laws and practices and customs that uh, other cultures, other cities, other um, places in the world have that are really quite different to what we have here in Australia. Or maybe you've come from overseas and uh, coming here was a big, big shock. Some of the different things that just people do uh, in different parts of the world. And uh, have a chat with the people around you just to get yourself thinking and then I'll, I'll feed back uh, to you in just a moment.
So I wonder how we went. Uh, many of us lived in different parts of the world before or, or visited. Any interesting stories or things to share from your experiences? This loud voice from where you are is mine. Yes. I think he's got volunteered, so. <laughs> yes. Anyone else had any of those experiences where things just work really differently? Yes. Anything else? Wow. Wow. <laughs> That's a bit of a shock for you when you're not expecting that sort of thing, hey? Some countries have some really odd um, laws, not just um, practices and customs, but actual legal things. I don't know if you've run into that before as you've traveled. Um, uh, as a while since I did research for this part of the talk, so don't take anything I say to be legal advice. I'm not also a lawyer. Um, but did you know that, say, in other parts of England, um, it's still technically considered illegal to do a postage stamp of a monarch if you put it on the envelope upside down. Uh, in certain parts, it's technically treason. Um, now, I don't know if it's enforceable or if it's one of those things like jaywalking in Sydney where technically you're not meant to do it, but hardly anyone pulls you up, but it's a thing. Uh, it's also technically illegal to die in Parliament House in England. Um, I don't know what they can do to you. <laughs> Maybe they charge your estate or something, but uh, you're not meant to do that. And unless they've updated it in the city of York. It's, it's actually legal to murder a Scotsman within the old city limits, but only if that unlucky Scotsman happens to be carrying a bow and arrow. But if he is, good luck to him, you know, he's fair game. And if you thought the British were kind of quaint, uh, American friends are even more odd. Um, apparently in Chico, California, you can get fined. Uh, anyone who detonates a nuclear device within city limits is liable to a fine of $500. <laughs> it's brilliant, isn't it? Uh, Kentucky, good old Kentucky, it's illegal to be carrying a concealed weapon of more than six foot. So, think about that. <laughs> and uh, in Iowa, uh, the little, little, sub, a little town of Iowa, a little state of Iowa, USA, it's illegal to let your horse eat a fire hydrant. You think about what led up to the making of these laws. There are apparently some rules that people live by because uh, the precedents in the past or some, quirk of, uh, some clerk in, in an office somewhere decided to be a good idea. I mean, if you happen to be in Iowa, seriously, don't let your horse eat a fire hydrant because you will get arrested for it. Um, it doesn't matter if you're a tourist, apparently. I checked with our, um, our lawyer types in the morning service, and it doesn't matter if the country you're coming from has different rules. If you live in that country, you've got to follow the rules of that country. Uh, that's just how it kind of is. When in Rome, 
do as the Romans do. Uh, Unless you're someone like an ambassador or someone uh, super special who might get some sort of diplomatic immunity, uh, citizens of a country, they have to live by their country's status quo. That's just how it is. Why am I telling you this? Because today we're going to be talking about home, uh, citizenship, where you belong. And in particular, I want to be able to uh, get us to think a little bit about how our citizenship, if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, where home is for us is in heaven. Uh, tonight we're continuing and exploring uh, not just Philippians, but our overarching theme for the year, which is that we want to be trying to walking. This year we want to encourage each other to be walking humbly with our God. Walking humbly with our God. And uh, what I want to put to you is that I think this little part in Philippians that we're looking at tonight tells us a fair bit about what it looks like to walk humbly and to walk with our God. And so if you come back to the first part of chapter 3 with me that uh, was read out for us, Philippians 3, starting at verse 2, um, we pick up Paul's argument where he's been explaining uh, how it is that he can be so sure that he is a citizen of heaven. So let me read verse 2. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. It starts with a bit of a a sharp sort of uh, rebuke, a sharp word to a certain group of people. He sounds pretty upset with uh, these people who he calls dogs, evil men, mutilators. It's pretty strong stuff. Um, you might know he's basically referring to a group of people who uh, were of Jewish persuasion and they said that you had to follow Jewish practices if you wanted to be right with God. Even if you were Christian, you had to continue uh, in the Jewish way of life. If you wanted any hope of God being happy with you, it meant being Jewish and doing that properly. Uh, Making sure you're following the Jewish law handed down to Moses by God himself all those years ago. Uh, in Mount Sinai. You read about them in um, the books of Exodus and Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And over generations, the Jewish people had developed a lot uh, of those laws into things that would help you keep you know, to the Ten Commandments and the, and the temple laws and the rest of it. But particularly for the men in the Jewish community, being circumcised was the big deal. It was the mark of belonging to the people of God. Uh, which is one of the many things, being circumcised, you can count as one of the many things you do to earn your place uh, in part of the community, to be a citizen of that community that was headed to God and to heaven. And actually, you might know this, but Paul, who's writing this letter, writing such sharp words to, to this group of people, he used to be one of those people. He was circumcised. He was a Jew. He was from the tribe of Benjamin, which were the good ancestors to have, apparently. Uh, He was following the teachings of the Pharisees, even. The Pharisees were the strictest sect in Judaism. He ticked all the boxes. Look at verse uh, 4 and onwards. So Paul continues, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. So Paul tells us there, he's on track. 
he had a big leg up on working towards earning his way in. If anyone was going to earn their way into heaven, it was this guy. But he had one of those uh, life-changing, turn-your-life-around moments where he realized that there was a better way. He he talks about that in the following verses, verse 7. Read with me. Paul continues, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So all that, all that uh, ancestry and all his law-keeping, he says, those were, I considered before my gains, but now I consider them loss. What is more, verse 8, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whose sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I might be found in Christ, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Uh, the really key bit there is the last part in verse 9. You see that he talks about two different types of righteousness. Uh, his old way and then this even better new way. And Paul says he doesn't want to have his old way, which was um, being found righteous in front of God on a merit that you have to earn yourself. Now he wanted this perfect righteousness that is given to him by God and is his by simple faith, by him just trusting God to count him as righteous. Which sounds a bit too easy, doesn't it? One where you work hard and you have to earn it and the other way you just trust that God's going to give you that status. But no, Paul says Jesus makes all the difference. Paul is convinced that God will count him righteous. You see it there because of what Jesus has done for people who trust him. So Paul talks about knowing Jesus, being found in Jesus, having faith, trusting in Jesus, and the righteousness that Jesus has won for him. Uh, Verse 10, he says that, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. For Paul, this new righteousness is a perfect righteousness. Being able to stand in front of God totally blameless, totally pure. It means his citizenship in heaven is all taken care of, paid for in full, paper signed, done deal. No chance of um, you know, failing midway, getting kicked out of the queue. The danger though, and why he starts off this chapter so cranky with this particular bunch of people, is that these people that he used to belong to are pushing for an old righteousness where you try and earn your citizenship by doing all these good things. And there's a bunch who would rather trust in their own law-keeping than trust in Jesus. Maybe they want to stand up on their own two feet, not relying on anyone else for help. Maybe it gives them a buzz to be able to see the list of achievements and be able to see all the, all the, you know, all the stickers they've collected, all the stamps they've been able to collect. But what if you're not good enough to actually earn your way in? And who is? Who is able to love God and respond to him like we're supposed to? All the time, without failing. Because that's what it takes if you want to play that game. And people, if people are trusting in themselves and what they can do, you can't actually have it both ways. You can't rely both on yourself and on Jesus at the same time. And so I think what Paul's worried about is that you actually lose out on the righteousness Jesus offers 
the one that Jesus offers to those who simply trust in him, you lose that righteousness if you start thinking you're going to try to earn your way in. Now, I know most of you aren't of Jewish extraction, but you are human, which I suspect means we've got the same proud streakiness. Where you see it play out is, I think, have you ever thought on some level, have you ever thought, even as a Christian person, on some level that you need to be good, that you need to you know, earn your way to God, that you ought to be good enough and to be doing something in your life that's proving it. And many of us like to have merits to stand on, to prop ourselves up, instead of simply being, what's the alternative? Simply super grateful, I think, that Jesus has died for us, even though we're not good. It takes a certain amount of humility to stay in that space. Realising that you've been given that incredible gift that you in no way deserve. And staying there rather than in a pride or an entitlement that you've somehow earned your way in or that you, know, you had it owing to you that God was going to give you that right standing. I think staying in that humility actually translates to how you end up treating other people too. Now, I think it helps us being aware of how um, generous God's been to us. It helps us tread with a bit more grace wherever we go. It helps us be a bit less harsh, a bit less scorekeeping in how we think about other people and how we deal with them. Now let's move on to the second part of the chapter and this is where uh, the theme that Ian picked up, uh, the citizenship in heaven, our home, really comes to the fore. I'm putting it to you that being spiritually mature, uh, walking with God, means that you're dead keen on your life to come in heaven, a life with God. Come look at verse 12 to 16 with me. Paul says, not that I've already attained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward uh, the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. He's pressing on, straining ahead to the goal that's there for him in glory. Now what Paul is suggesting here is normally quite hard and quite foreign for us because most of us think that we've still got such a long way to go before maybe getting to heaven. But I don't know if uh, you've been reflecting on it. Uh, I certainly have. Recent uh, tragic events in our church with the passing of uh, Alvin Goh, with the passing of Barbara Ironside, and those lost to us in 2017. This season that we seem to be in, in our church, where uh, we've said goodbye to so many beloved ones in our family, in our church family, as God's called them home. I think it's called attention to the fact that none of us are going to be around forever. It's not a thought that our culture entertains at all. Now, if you're 15 years old and glorying in youth culture, you're not thinking like someone who's three or four generations on. And one of the things I really do like about our church is that we have the gift of a real diverse community here, including in demographics and in age. 
And we have those amongst us who we get to talk to, we get to rub shoulders with every week, for whom, well, your season in life is one where perhaps a lot of your friends might have gone ahead of you already into the life to come. And you find that you're actually really looking forward to going home. Uh, some of us have had the privilege to share time with uh, those who've been ill and terminally so. It really focuses you on what's really important. And so I, uh, I would suggest that if you don't know any older Christian people, uh, if you don't know them well, if you haven't tapped into the resources and the potential that we have here every Sunday to develop, I guess, those cross-generational relationships, that is a real loss for you if you haven't tapped into that yet. And I would strongly suggest that you make good use of your supper times and, and just the times in between our services and bits and pieces. Some of us here this evening are blessed with a perspective in life where you're so much more aware, so much more focused on the life to come than many of us who are younger, I think. And we need to be reminded often that life here, life here isn't home. There are plenty of people who live like life here and now is home though. It's as good as it gets for them. And it looks like it was the same back in Paul's day too. If you come and look what he has to say to them, in uh, verse 17, Philippians 3.17, Paul writes, Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as, as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. But their mind is set on earthly things. Either because they don't yet know better, or they're so caught up in life here and now and the busyness of, of the pace of living here in Sydney or wherever they live, or they've turned their backs on the gospel. There are, there are plenty of people who live only for this life. Plenty of people for whom, understandably, their God is their stomach. It's all about the good stuff they can, or if you're Singaporean, Malaysian, eat. Metaphorically speaking, it's what they can consume, it's what they can enjoy. It really is about collecting the most toys and experiences and having the immediate desires satisfied as the end game. And for many, it's a miserable and pointless game that they're not winning. For those of... Uh, for many of those of us who don't yet know Jesus, many of those who are our friends, this messed up world is home. And so you go about building the fanciest tent that you can in this place, not realising that this is actually more like a refugee camp. It's, it's temporary, with so much more to come. Or verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. It is probably right that we don't feel entirely at home here and now. 
is probably right that we feel frustrated when, you know, when good things end or when work is miserable and frustrating or when we see and hear the terrible things that we do to each other. It's probably right because there really is got to be more to life than this. And our citizenship is in heaven. Jesus, in saving us, has given us a new hope, a real trajectory. Uh, in a way, he's taken us out of step with this world. And yet we still live here. We really do have to live here until he calls us home. But we live here in a different way. Because we know this place is temporary, we treat it differently. It's like when you go on a camping trip. or You're packing for a weekend away or a holiday. You, you pack your stuff for a temporary stay, don't you? It's, what, one carry-on? Maybe check luggage, just one piece? And that's it. You travel light because you're not planning on living in a hotel or some campsite for the rest of your life. It's temporary accommodation. And you might enjoy some of the things about your trip. You might like the room that you're staying in or, and the bed might be nice and the things you've got planned may or may not work out while you're there. But either way, whether it's good or it's terrible, you don't let yourself get too attached to a holiday home or a campsite because at the end of the day, before you know it, you're going home. And I'm suggesting that life in this world is a bit like that. It's real enough. You really do have to live here for as long as God gives you. And there are good things to do. But don't get too attached to it because maybe in just a little while, it's our turn to go home. My grandmother is the oldest person I know. Uh, she just ticked over 106 years old a couple of weeks back. We had a big party and things. We've got to celebrate every year, I think, now. And it's a decent inning. She's uh, quite fragile now in, in body and in mind. But I personally don't know anyone who's gone, gone longer. And even with Grandma, I reckon we can represent all those years she lived under the sun, both world wars and, and moving countries and all of that. I reckon we could represent the whole 106-year lifetime as a dot on the page. Just a dot. And after the dot, when God sees fit to call her home, there's the rest of all time. Going into eternity, world without end, eclipsing her measly 106 years and counting. Where she will get to live as a citizen of heaven with our God and with the rest of us who trust in Jesus. I think her hope, like many of our hope, is, is to be made perfect her body and mind no longer troubling her, made perfect like Jesus is perfect. Look at verse 21. Uh, Jesus, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they'll be like his glorious body. That's the big picture. And that's what Paul says in verse 16. What's he say? Only let us live up to this that we've already attained. This home that's secured for us already, not by our work or our security uh, efforts at planning and, and building up for ourselves these things by our good works. It's us, it's ours free because Jesus has paid for it by his blood. And so this evening I want to encourage you to be stubborn. Be a stubborn citizen of heaven. 
who, even though you're living here in the world now, you're refusing to live by the rules and the status quo of the here and now. Cause some trouble. (laughs) Be the stick in the mud, because you know that your citizenship is in heaven. But this is all passing away. All the norms and values of now aren't going to last. And because your citizenship is in heaven, its norms and values are binding on us even now. God sees and he knows and he cares and he has jurisdiction. The law of love and faith and hope. Even in situations of frustration, the law of joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and self-control. In temptation, in sadness and in grief, let us live up to what we've already attained, what we've already been given. Let me uh, close by telling you a quick story about someone who you might know, uh, if you're a regular here amongst us. Um, Jeremy Yeo. Uh, he uh, teaches Sunday school in the mornings, and so quite often he's here in the evening. He's not here tonight for different reasons. Uh, but... Uh, Jeremy, so after school, after high school, Jeremy finished uh, up at Cherrybrook Tech and as some of you know, uh, he went to Singapore for two years and uh, was part of the National Serviceman uh, Program. He was part of the the army program that all the young men in Singapore have to do Uh, and he became a National Serviceman in the tank infantry. Tank infantry, I don't know if you uh, know anyone who's uh, done that sort of thing. They're the guys who run next to the tanks which is probably the worst place in the whole place to be, I'd imagine. In the tank, pretty good. Next to the tank, not so good. Uh, someone's got to maintain the things, and you know, when there's bullets flying around, you want to be inside the tank, you're not, not running outside of it. Tough job. Uh, but I guess someone has to do it. And why would you go and do that? Why would Jeremy up and move to Singapore for two years to run alongside tanks? Well, for Jeremy, he had to because he was a Singaporean citizen. And uh, the rules are that um, you know, all, all the guys in Singapore, when they finish school or when they finish um, at uni, you have to do your two years of national service in the army if you want to hold on to your citizenship. Or if you've been bonded, uh, even if you've gone overseas, you might pay a bond to sort of say, we're coming back to do this national service. I mean, Jeremy was living here in Australia at the time, but he was a, a Singaporean citizen, which meant... You know, he had to up and go. And you talk to him about his experience there. He never once even complained about it. He said he had a pretty good time. He learnt lots, grew lots. But post-army, Jeremy had a decision to make. Where is home going to be? You can't hold dual citizenship uh, as a Singaporean. And so did he want to keep his Singaporean citizenship? I mean, he just spent two years sort of earning it, keeping it up. Or would he give it up to be an Australian citizen? Now, that was a while back. That was um, Obviously, he's made up his mind now. He's, uh, he's here. But you can have a talk to him about what he chose and his reasons um, next time you get to see him. All I'm trying to say is this. Uh, I know we're not all Singaporean, but like Jeremy, we have to be clear about where our citizenship is. Where is home? Is this world home? Are we going to now down our our tent here? Or is the world to come home? And if heaven is our home, then what are you doing marching to the beat 
or the rhythm of this world. If heaven is your home, I think we have to give up the idea of belonging here. And you start letting go of all the associated dreams to start dreaming some new dreams. I know we have to live here for a while. For the time being, this is where we, where, where we are, but I think the trajectory matters. Are you able to own and to say, I am just a stranger here, passing through, because God is my Father, Jesus is my righteousness, and heaven is my home. Would you walk through life like that? What's it going to mean even for you this week? God is my Father. Jesus is my righteousness. Heaven is my home. Amen.